who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I'll use my background in journalism to dive into topics that matter to women today, from divorce to call-out culture to masculinity to girls' confidence. Season two of Thread the Needle finds the meeting place between feminist ideals and the realities of women's lives. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts. Dylan, do you have a favorite character from season three? So give me a second of the characters from season three. I think it might be Snoopy. I think I have to agree with you. I really did like Snoopy. Because like your your Bugs Bunny, your Bugs Bunny XB uh, is entertaining enough, but I think he's entirely just the bit. He's just a bit. There's nothing else to him. I don't like the character. It's just working with that character is fun. Well, no one would like Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny's an asshole. Yeah. He's an asshole to everyone. It's also apparently a Clark Gable reference. Really? Like all of it. Like there's a Clark Gable character that does the what's up doc thing and eats carrots like. Oh, I can kind of see it now that I think about rabbits it. Rabbits don't particularly give a shit about carrots. It was a Clark Gable character who ate carrots. That's hilarious. Uh, so yeah, it's a reference to one dude from one movie. Uh, and then we thought it was about rabbits and we haven't let it go. It's the same thing that happened with the uh, Nimrod thing. Uh, in case you leave this in, the bit there is that Nimrod was an ancient Greek hunter. And when Bugs Bunny calls Elmer Fudd Nimrod, it's sarcastic. It's like you calling somebody Einstein, but nobody got the reference. So it just, everybody got the tone and was like, oh, Nimrod must mean dumbass. That's exactly what happened. We ran with it. That's what people believe to this day. But yeah, no. So it's not the Bugs Bunny one. And like, as much as I enjoy your, your paladin that gets progressively more fucked up, the more they show up, I, I got to give it. To Snoopy, because that was just like immediately relatable. It was fun. It worked. Like, wasn't a giant asshole. No, he was a good dude. He was an earnest little dude. Yeah, just doing his best. I respect it. On the opposite end, the one I definitely hated the most mm -hmm. was in the People episode. Yeah. Boy, boy, that guy. Well, that was a pointed fuckwit. Same thing as like, I 
despise the dude from the Gengar episode. I don't think he's as bad as the dude from the People episode. But he's bad. But he sucked. I think he might be a better person, but I just like him less. He was only a better person because he was there to claim an inheritance. Yeah. He was there to claim wealth. He actually owned the thing, so he wasn't that bad. Right. It was it was more a haunted house situation, yeah. but if that guy wasn't wealthy, he would have yeah, been just as very, much a prick. There's very much an overlap in those two characters. No, but that, that guy in the People episode, man, he was just like, even I felt, like as I was editing it, I felt a little gross because like he just pushes it too far and he's just a bad bad person and he left that whole village traumatized i mean that didn't feel good as an episode but it wasn't meant to it was meant to show how awful people can be especially like adventurers because the whole point there was everybody has that thing where they're playing the character and they think of themselves as the big damn hero and they don't think about themselves in terms of their place in the world the whole like i get to make demands of the king why because i can cast fireball like hey guess what you're, you're a fucking authoritarian i'm not going to call you a fascist specifically but but you are threatening to burn people who don't believe in you yeah but there's a bunch of authoritarians that'll do that fascists are specific what are some monsters that you haven't covered yet that you decidedly will not cover i don't think there's anything that we're really we haven't said no to anything there's two sides to it right uh, decidedly will not cover like there's nothing that we're going to look at in terms of the monster manual and just go we're never going to talk about this however one there's the stuff we've mentioned previously that we're going to be careful around there's a lot of stuff where it's like explicitly racially coded the fact that the drow and the orcs despite being player species player heritages ancestries however you want to phrase it they're in the monster manual they are also specifically there to be killed, which means we kind of have to talk about them, but we also have to be very, very careful in that situation. And our voices shouldn't be the primary ones. Otherwise, I don't think there's anything that we're drawing a hard line on. The only thing for me is the stuff where it's not worth covering. Like, obviously, most of the stuff in the appendices. But for me, the thing that comes to mind is like, we covered dragons we could do more dragon episodes and the chromatic ones. There's some level of interest because of the different. We will do at least one more dragon episode. We will see because we also have to have somebody show up with a good take. There's someone who out there's got a good take on dragons. I'm not saying there isn't. I'm saying they have to like, I'm not hunting for it. There are other monsters out there that I want to cover that I want to get somebody's opinion on. I want to find somebody, ideally someone who's lived in some part of Africa where there are hyenas and they have some part of some opinion to talk about gnolls. Because I think gnolls are very, very cool and could have a lot of interesting stuff in there, but a lot of the way we talk about them is super fucking racist. There are a lot of monsters like that that I want to cover. I do not give a shit about finding someone to talk about the red dragon. Right, but if someone came to us with something really cool with the red dragon, we'd make room. I get you. So that's where I, it, same thing with the other varietals of hag. Like we're not going to do a sea hag episode unless somebody shows up and is like, "Hey, I want to talk about wet bitches." Yeah, but even then, it's like you got to really sell me on this because all right, tell me why this episode isn't just the hag episode again in water. Right. The thing Sally said, but damn. Right. It's hags, the aqua ballet. I mean, what's what are we doing new here? 
merfolk are in there. We're, we're going to cover that one, so we don't really need sea hags. I mean, I could see us maybe doing something about a coven, but even then, again, what are we doing new? Yeah, we could. Again, that it's the sort of stuff that to me feels like bonus content. Agreed. Like even talking about the other types of dragons doesn't feel like a whole episode because then we have to cu- do another AP. We have to find a way to do another dragon encounter that feels interesting and valuable. Which I mean, there are ways to do it. There are ways to do it, but it's going to be a lot of repeat. And there are easier ways to make other shit interesting. And we also hit some of the big notes. Like we got the breath attack. We got me using the the shield to completely block the breath attack. We got the flying. We got, I mean, we got all the we did the we had stuff. to do. Yeah, agree. Yeah, the only thing that's going to change in the AP is the narrative elements because of the personality shifts. Right. And what elemental type the damage is doing. And is that even a dragon at that point? No, we're just adding personality aspects into it. So what yeah. are we even doing? Yeah. It's the thing we talked about in the people episode is at this point, we're not talking about dragons. We're talking about dudes. Yep. Just dudes. Dudes with a lot of power and teeth. Other stuff in the list, obviously, is just like the different types of demons and devils. And like those aren't getting individual episodes. I'm not talking about imps specifically for half an hour and then talking about whatever the weird gorilla looking guys are. And then talking about ice devils. They're the praying mantis ones, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's not going to happen. We'll talk about devils in hell and we'll talk about the abyss. The individual monsters... Great, but hell itself becomes the more interesting conversation there. Because that is, and we'll get into this when we do that episode, the conversation is the reason everything in the abyss and in hell looks so fucked is because they're made to suit purpose, right? Which means the thing that's interesting is what needs doing, which is all a discussion of what hell is and what hell's goals are and what the devils are trying to accomplish and not just an ice devil or just a Baylor. Right. But we can touch on all of them. Yeah. Because it's a actual, because it's basically a kind of like a one large Borg all working towards the same mm-hmm. general idea, even though they all have individuality. They're all kind of like a mass of creatures working towards a single goal. We'll talk. We'll talk. Fair enough. (laughs) I don't know that I agree with that at all, but I I don't expect you to. (laughs) I I see where you're coming from. I'll give you that much. What monster this season is the best chef and what are they serving? I missed that one. That's a great question. I mean, I don't know that it is because we covered people. Okay, they well, have, like, I don't think we, yeah, I don't think we can count them. I think we're going to get, yeah, we, we have to leave okay. the people out of this one. Because here's, here's the thing. We have to immediately omit pixies and people because pixies are just a subset of people. They're just short people who fly. Also, pixies specifically in their description, it talks about how disgusting their food is to humans. They eat. Does it or is this no? This is is this another thing where you said a thing and you're quoting yourself as a source. I'm not quoting myself. I actually read this and was surprised about it because I would expect pixies to eat like cupcakes and honeysuckle, but no, it's it's like mud pies with worms in it. Like they eat gross shit. I'm gonna quietly pull up the monster manual in the background because I don't believe you. (laughs) Fine, but as far as like who would, I'm looking through the list right now. Um, Dinosaurs, no. Everybody else. In this season, eats like raw meat. <laughs> yeah, Mephits, no. 
Modrons, maybe. Modrons are robots. They don't eat. They don't eat. Okay, that is a problem. Uh, Tarask, no. You know what? Rami. The Medusa. If we're going to pick one, I think it's got to be the Medusa. Also just a dude. Right, but I mean, okay, I see what you're saying. Like, well, okay, well, we if we're not including the humanoid ones, we're not including the monsters. There's nothing left. <laughs> there's no one left to ask. Well, that's 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 why I think I love you, Alex. I you know that you know how desperately I love you. Nobody. This is a shit question. Look at the season. Christ. <laughs> Let me rephrase it. What monster would be the tastiest? Okay, that I can work with. Yeah. First, we got to tear it down to just the ones made of meat. Well, dinosaurs are just birds, so they probably taste like chicken. They are. They'd probably be real, real gamey because like those they're huge. And I don't know enough about the food science to know how like size of meat would matter in taste and texture. No, no, no. That's that's not the question, because I think part of what makes meat taste gamey is a increase in myoglobin because the muscles are being worked more frequently. Like, that's why a duck really tastes dramatically different from a chicken is because it's doing shit, right? Uh, it's part of what makes the, it's why in chicken, the thighs are dark and then the breasts aren't. But if you get a duck breast, it's, it looks darker. It looks more like a chicken Cause thigh. Because it's doing more work. Because it is actually exercised by the duck flying, whereas the chicken just has wings. The breasts don't actually do anything. Oh, I didn't know that was the difference between dark and white. I didn't know that's how it worked. That's my understanding. That's wild. If anyone listening to this show is some sort of food scientist or Jen, hey, how you doing? Feel free to correct us, Jen. If you listen to this show (laughs) and you know the answer to this question, (laughs) correct me. This is something I'm legitimately interested in. Please do at me. We actually touched on this a bit when you talked about the Tarask and how it would be just this continuously replenishing source of food if you just carved off some at a time. I think that would be disgusting. The black dragon would be vile. Oh, God, yeah. It'd be so fucking sour. Just horrible. Gengar would be disgusting. Yeah, well, Gengar's a ghost. Well, it's physical, though, isn't it? It's as physical as ghosts is. Oh, it's a, oh okay. So it can be physical what it wants to be, but otherwise it's just yeah, plasma it's, and vapor. I don't know that it is. Okay. It's, it's immune to fighting and normal type attacks. I think it might actually be dinosaurs, because this is where the, the whole duck question was coming down to like yes they're huge right how much are their muscles working a lot i'd assume that's what i don't know like maybe they wouldn't be that game well i bet the leg of a t-rex is going to be pretty worked i mean that probably be good the arms are going to be awful no the arms might be good because they're like yes meat to bone ratio probably bad because they're too short but they don't do anything but they don't do anything so it might be very, very like good white meat, you know? It might be sucky. T-Rex breasts might be good. Everything might be awful, but but we'd kill the T-Rex just to get the arm meat. Just that to is find exactly out. what humans would do. Yeah. <laughs> I'd go for a dinosaur. I'd try a dinosaur just out of curiosity. I mean, I would do everything else I don't trust. I would try a dinosaur because I'm really infatuated with the idea of eating something that could eat me. I don't know that I have anything to say to that, Aram. <laughs> All right. Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are the most tasty. Yeah. I hope that answers your question, Alex. You know what? It's probably blink dogs, but we can't eat a blink dog. No. I mean, I bet they're delicious, but no, you can't eat We're a not blink doing dog. That. 
based on the portable hold discussion, what items do you think are underused, underappreciated? So I like the portable hole as it is much more than people give it credit for, for the simple reason that it has restrictions on it. Uh, I think the bag of holding is interesting immediately as a concept, but mechanically it's a way to get around carrying capacity and that's it. Right. Agreed. It is just a fucking satchel and you reach in and you get your stuff. And if you're being really, really strict with the rules, like a handy haversack lets you get shit quickly and you have to find the stuff in a bag of holding, but it's just a backpack. A portable hole is a massive inconvenience which makes it mechanically much more interesting because to get something out of a portable hole, you need a six foot diameter surface to spread the hole out on. And then you have to go into the, because it's now just a literal hole that your shit's in. If something wants to get out of there, if you set it up as a trap and then roll it up and you're like, fuck yeah, I got the fucking displacer beast trapped in here. It can just push its way out. It's a DC 10 strength check. It's not hard. I agree with all of this, but if it's a portable hole, if it says portable hole, it should be a portable hole. It should make holes whenever you put no, it down. No, What you're looking for is a portable hole producer. You're looking to, the thing you're looking to take around is something that makes holes. Yes. The portable hole is a hole that you can pick up and bring somewhere else and the same hole will exist. That is what the name says. But it's not making a hole. It, it's, no, it's temporarily it making a hole. It's, but it is. So in my version of the portable hole, the portable hole is always there. Whenever you put it on something, it makes that hole. It just puts that hole in whatever it's on as opposed to making it an extra dimensional space. So by that measure, if you put the hole against a 10 foot wall, it becomes a tunnel. Yes. I like that better. I know you do, is what I can say to that. I also like the idea of them having to put all their treasure and then pick it up the hole and have to come back and get it later. It's just a temporary yeah, holding so space. So I find that incredibly boring. <laughs> no, imagine this is an actual adventure, right? It's like you get down to the end of the, the boss fight, you kill that guy, and then you're like, all right, now that we've killed out all the monsters in the dungeon, let's come back with a wheelbarrow. We'll fucking pop the portable hole down where we... Like, that's not actually interesting. It's a fun idea when you say it the first time. But it doesn't serve the game. In the purposes of the episode, when you brought it up, it was a funny idea. It was perfect. This is exactly what Bugs Bunny would do. But as an item that I would put in my game, no. It's not helpful. Well, the whole part is. But the, the portable the bag part tunnel, is. Yeah. where if you gave it like a 10-foot depth, uh, I mentioned it like doing that as like either a consumable, something like, you know, uh, the robe of useful items has a window. And my assumption, I don't know if it's written in there. I can't remember. It has two, it has two of them. There's two of everything. My assumption is you get the window off and you can put the window on something and now there's a window in that wall. Right. Like that, I do like. I think it should be a consumable. I don't think you should be able to get it back. And if you wanted to make it fucking slapstick, you make it paint. You make it the Roadrunner thing. Or chalk. You make a chalk circle and it becomes, yeah. No, because I think there's a chalk item that specifically does that for portals. Oh, really? Okay. I think. No, you're probably right. That makes sense. Keep in mind that I also, like, had so many PDFs of 3.5 books 
forever ago. So there are so many items floating around my head that I don't know if they're real or if they're from another edition. Or this is a thing. Okay, just a little side tangent here. Yeah, I cannot fucking believe how boring magic items are in 5e hands down across the board boring as hell no which is funny because like the thing that they specifically set out to do the the stated goal was we are going to make it so that magic items are no longer tethered to your level up because that was a major problem is you were expected to have a certain level of magic item by the by a certain level so you hit level five, everyone in the party should have a plus one, maybe a plus two weapon. Like by the time you're level fucking whatever, you're planning out the magic items you have to get to make your build be complete. And they did do a good job of doing that in that, like if I made a level 20 character and gave them no magic items, they're going to do cool shit. We're good. They'll be able to fight the monsters. It'll be fine. But most of the magic items are shit like... Okay, you basically can cast fly now. Right, or you have a plus one, or you have a plus two. They're still the exact same mechanical bonuses that they always were, and they don't do anything fun. Baldur's Gate was great, because all of a sudden there's this slew of really interesting magic items that don't disable the game, don't overturn it. They're just cool to have. They make it more interesting, and there's tons of them. Hold on, name, name one, because I can't really think of any magic items that do stuff much other than, like, damage or, like, bonuses to stats and shit. And I'm not saying they don't make the game more interesting, but I think the reason they make games more interesting is because it's digital now and you don't have, like, the math of them doesn't matter. This is a really good set of armor, so it, re so it reduces bludgeoning by two points, and it yes. does this, and it does that. So that makes it very cool and very, but you don't want to do that math on your own. D&D is always hampered by its own math, which is why D&D makes more sense as a video game than it does as pen and paper. The magic items have kind of been a disappointment this entire edition. That being said, the most interesting magic items are always the things that, honestly, it's kind of like your whole problem, where I'm like, I, I get why you think that's interesting. Nearly everything you say makes me ask a question. And if I'm asking that question, someone at the table is going to assume an answer to that question. And then we're going to have to have a, not even necessarily a disagreement, but like I suddenly have to recalculate. I don't need to know literally everything that my players can do at any given moment. But at the same time, when they suddenly pull out a completely out of left field way that they can interact with the world that I had never even conceived of, it's shit like this portable hole thing where I have to sit there and go like, I think you're actually wrong. It's not that you outsmarted me. It's that you're parsing a sentence different than I did. Right. And I don't think what you're doing is true. It, it could ruin an entire dungeon if you make the, the typical dungeon where there's 10-foot walls in between everything, which is not mm -hmm. how a dungeon would be. It would be carved out, have giant voids all over the place where, where a 10-foot thing would not work. You wouldn't be able to get through the 10 yeah, feet of material. Yeah, if it's a cave system, but some dungeons are straight-up castles. Right. Then you're, then you're effed because I can get through anything. Fucking thin wall. <laughs> yeah. I can enter any room now. Yeah, and Exactly. And here, here's an example. People playing at home. Don't ever fucking do this, but you'd be right if you said it. If you come across a wall, let's say you're in, you know, standard interior of a castle. And there's a door, it's shut, it has a regular ass lock on it, plus you cast arcane lock on it. So now the DC is like 30 some odd and you don't have a rogue or somebody broke their thieves, whatever. 
And now I could just portable hole right next to it and step through. <laughs> you know what doesn't have any spells cast on it? The wall. The wall, exactly. If you just fucking break the wall, that door is attached to the wall by the door frame. So if you smash the wall, you can just leave the door standing there. You could take the door out. Perfectly magical, perfectly locked. Just put it over to the side. Haven't yeah. broken the spells. I do like that Especially because like... Yeah, did you lock up the hinges? No, you didn't. Let me just get a little teeny hammer. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to knock those out. Right? <laughs> oh, congratulations. You put in a huge deadbolt. Oh, yeah. I took the hinges out of the door. Fuck you. <laughs> I put in this huge, powerful deadbolt in my wooden door. Great. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Don't ever do that. It's an asshole thing to pull on your DM. But it's funny. The obvious answer is the usual thing of like in a world where that's a risk. If the people designing it are intelligent, always a variable question there. They would extend the spell. The wall would be magic. The room would be warded in some way. It wouldn't actually work. If it were, you know... <laughs> Room 34B of the castle and the king set this up. There is a chance that he just fucking warded that door and was like, there, I'm so clever. Then you cast shatter on the wall next to it and you're like, fuck, fuck. Well, it's like with, uh, it's like with, you know, trying to stop people who make viruses for computers. You can make it as Loctite as you want. There's always going to be someone who's going to find a way in. That's the problem with playing defense is if you're on the defense, you have to be perfect every second in every way and if you're on the offense you got to be right once yep you can fail 99 of 100 times but you got in but once. once you're in you're in doors open yeah fuck you so what's a class that doesn't get used enough for sentient monsters bard have have i done my curate on why i don't like bards in this i don't think so let's do it i'm gonna try to keep this relatively contained I think that the bard assumes too much that isn't intuitive about how magic works in a setting for it to be a base class. I see why it's there. I get the role that it fills mechanically, the support caster, all that shit. But if you come out to me and you tell me, here's a class, it does all of its magic via music and song. There should be so many bards. Yes, it should be the most common magic. It should be all over the fucking place. And also, the bards run through colleges. And, like, if the whole thing is that it's something about resonance is what makes their magic work, is that it makes the weave resonate in the right way, like, then that is wizards. Bards are wizards. Right, if they're going to college to learn it, they're just wizards. Well, not even if they're going to college to learn it. Like, if that is the way that magic happens, then the thing that a wizard would go to school and learn, like... Okay, in Canada, the way we split it up is university is the academic thing where you're learning a high concept, like you go to university and get a degree in physics or you get a degree in philosophy, whatever, and you go to college and college will teach you like a trade. You go to college to learn carpentry. Uh, culinary school is a college. Uh, so that's that's the way that I'm going to talk about this for our purposes here. If you went and did college of whatever the fuck barred, and I went to university to be a bard or to be a wizard, I would walk in and the first thing they would tell me is, so magic is made up of vibrating strings. And if we can tune sounds to the right frequency, we can make the, the strings of reality behave in the way we want them to. So you have to have the right uh, tonality and you have to have the right rhythm. And 
which is just going to make all incantations into songs. If a bard is just about the vocalizations and just about the chords, I would agree with you. But a bard is a charisma class. There's a reason why not all singers are stars. And the bard's magic comes from that ineffable quality of the star power. Yeah, because they're sorcerers. Uh, right. So we have that already. Right. Okay. Already a thing. The only thing in the bards that is unique is bardic inspiration, which is nebulously magical. And that's sort of my problem. Is it the same thing we run into with rangers? And they ran into this problem in fucking 3.5 with all their half casters. But once you make something magical and the way that you represent that is just giving it spells, it gets real fucking lame real fast. Uh, way of the Element Monks, same shit. Because uh, the Way of the Element Monk is just you get to pick a handful of abilities and all of these abilities are you spend key points to cast a fucking spell. Boring. It demagics it and it also raises a bunch of questions about how magic actually works. Because again, if you're going to say to me, wizards have an academic understanding of how the world works and they're manipulating it and they understand the truth of reality and that's how they do magic, then they are bards if what bards do works and is correct. I see what you're saying. There's, there's no reason why a wizard can't make a music box that is perfectly tuned to cast Charm Person. It should yeah. work that way. It, it should work that way, at which case, in which case all wizards are bards. And yeah, you get the divide between wizards and sorcerers. But again, that's something that we just made up. I think once you put in warlocks, sorcerers are less interesting. So get rid of sorcerers entirely they as well. They shouldn't have spells that cross over. If you play they a sorcerer... I don't think a bard should have spells. I agree with that too. But when, what do you do? So that's the thing, is when you look at the way they're talked about in the book they're fucking spies like a rogue is either a thief or an assassin like right. they're either they're sneaking up to either take your shit or to stab your face a bard is a diplomat right is doing actual like infiltration a, a rogue sneaks into a building to steal shit a bard walks in through the front door because he's convinced you they belong there and they're going to take the thing without you noticing. They're wildly different behaviors. They're completely different classes. Or they're going to walk in and you're, you're, you're going to end up giving them the thing. You yeah. Know? yeah. <laughs> and having that charisma class still do the bardic inspiration thing is still entirely coherent. It's a little bit weird when you make them a spy, but at the same time, just like having this person who is charismatic and able to either their power is little gay speech basically it's a charismatic person who walks in and makes you think you can do better yeah like the the bard is a coach and then that obviously specifies even further into full rabble rouser uh if you look at spire uh game by uh chris taylor and uh grant howitt through Rowan rook and deckard same folks that do uh, put out die all of their classes inspire have a direct one-to-one -one parallel in DD, and their bard is called the firebrand and what they do 
is start riots and revolutions. They get up on their soapbox and they encourage people to act. That's how the bard should be. That's what a bard is. That's what a bard is, correct. They don't cast fucking spells and cast shatter, healing word and all that shit. They get out there and they are monitoring the battlefield and encouraging people where they need to and acting cleverly outside of combat. They're politicians, they're tent revival priests, they're all of these people. They're the ones who sell you the the miracle tonic a cure or yeah. or get you to, in, to invest in the monorail. That's what a bard is. And most importantly, they don't tell you something specific and guaranteed about your setting that you might not want to deal with. Right. The idea that magic is inherently mu or music is inherently magic and there's some weird tie in there that you can just stumble on and become a bard is not something I want to deal with in my setting. Or if you are going to have it be that way, show us what the, why, how does that work? What does it do? What do the gods of music mean then? Are they more powerful? Are they differently powerful? Like give us some clue of how that ties into the world. You're now doing the thing D&D doesn't want to do, where you're prescribing the world. Still an interesting thing. More RPGs should be willing to do that. It's why so many fantasy heartbreakers fall on their fucking faces, because they're trying to do the thing where it's like, oh, this system can do anything. Like, no, build your world. Do something cool. Don't give me a fucking bard in a system that's supposed to do everything. And give me a game where there's a fucking bard in a game that's about bards doing bard shit. To this note, also, if you are starting a TTRPG podcast, don't start it just to start it. Have something to say. Have a story in mind. Have something to say. These Same thing with any of these. Like, If you're going to make a generic TTRPG game that's supposed to just cover everything, that, oh, it could be adapted to anything, then what are you making? Yeah, you, you've decided on an interesting way to roll dice. Uh, you can make something that is... Setting agnostic, but again, I'm going to keep going back to Roanrook and Deckard because it's just a design house I'm very, very familiar with. Uh, they put out a card-based RPG called uh, Unbound or Bound. Doesn't matter. Unbound, I think, is card-based, and the first session is supposed to be designing your setting. It is completely setting agnostic, but the thing this game does is it's supposed to do cinematic combat. So at that point, the setting doesn't really matter. It's mechanically doing something specific. You don't have to necessarily have a world you're bringing across, but you do have to be saying something. And that thing can be as simple as fights should be flashy and fun and not require a huge amount of pre-planning. All the things I'm missing from D&D feel like they've made their way into die. Call of Cthulhu is an interesting game that functions completely differently than D&D because the thing they want to do there is investigation. Again, the thing you're saying doesn't have to be some deep thesis statement. It can just be this game is about learning things. Yeah. Because honestly, a game that says it is fun and interesting to gain knowledge is still a fucking statement. Getting back to the actual question of what classes uh, don't get used enough on uh, monsters. Still the same answer. It's barred. Well, I know that's your answer, but I think it's a shit answer because bards are boring. But it's the least used one. That's what they're asking for, which is the least used one. That's the one. No. Underused. Least used is a very fucking different thing because... You're right. You're right. That's fair. Because the bard as a support class is weird because it's that jack-of-all-trades thing. Like, having something that can throw out bardic inspiration would be good for NPCs and monsters, but, like... 
the rest of what makes a bard a bard is out of combat. I would do something more with like a ranger because then all of your class abilities are things that are useful to the monsters. Having, sake of argument, an orc ranger as opposed to your standard orc barbarian gives you someone who is out there hunting and searching and tracking. And when you manage to take your orcs and like, there are a thousand problems with orcs and this doesn't address any of them. But if you're going to run your orcs as a military group, they should be scary and they should be tactical and intelligent. And if they are, your players are going to want to run. And at that point, having one orc who just goes, no, 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 no. You can run, but you cannot hide. Humanity thrived, not because we are strong, not because we are fast, but because we were endurance. We were persistence predators who tracked and just followed you like the goddamn Terminator of the Serengeti. The idea of the blink dogs, the idea that it's harrying the enemy, like attacking them from all sides. So like your enemy can't get off a good attack because it doesn't know where it's supposed to be attacked. We did that. You surrounded shit with spears so that it was too far away to be able to attack you. And then you just kept poking it from all sides so that it couldn't push past any of the spears because it's constantly turning around desperate. Rangers and being hunted are terrifying if you're on the wrong side of them. They're only boring because that never comes up on player side or when it does, it's one session and you just decided that you're dedicating 20 levels to finding that one fucking session. Yeah. But as the DM, you get to look at it and go like, no, 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 this session, I'm going to hunt the players like animals. I'm going to use a ranger. God, that would be fun. I got to do that what now. For. Yeah. Agreed. See? Fuck your bard. Well, the bar- Okay, hang on. No, no, no. I, I, I agree with you. I understand the, the value of a bard. I was being funny because I am the funny one. You are the... Yeah. So there's, <laughs> there's one more thing I wanted to add about bards. I just love... The only reason I really like it because I love the idea of making your players go, oh, wait, people believe in the bad guy. They are uplifted by the bad guy's speech. They think they're on the right side. They think they're doing the right thing so he can inspire them too. I like that flip on it. Yeah, that's legitimately good. Granted, it runs into my my whole thing of like, it's part of why I don't, I don't see the need to use the bard class because most of the bard class is being a shitty wizard. Or just being really charismatic. Why can't the sorcerer just do what the bard does? Or even just like making bardic inspiration a feat. Like you you don't have to be a bard to do bardic inspiration. Because otherwise, the major things a bard does are all the skill and evasion things that they stole from the rogue and all the spell shit they stole from the wizards. And then bardic inspiration. <laughs> If you gave all the buff spells to the bards and only bards had those kind of buff spells, maybe. But even then, where do they come from? Why? How is this happening? Making them like a combat medic type of thing where it's like, I am still the tactician. I am out there like doing alchemy, brewing shit up, throwing it to you, making sure that you can do what you need to do. That's interesting. I can get on board with this again. You've probably heard the name Mary, Queen of Scots, and maybe you know the importance of her legacy to the British monarchy, but how much do you know about her life and what she was really like? For instance, did you know that she preferred to have her eggs scrambled or that giving gifts was her love language? 
In my podcast, Vulgar History, we'll be talking about all that and more during an eight-part mini-series about the fascinating life of Mary, Queen of Scots. Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were, and it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But I'm dedicated to sharing the sides of the stories we don't always hear, and each episode is supported by rigorous historical research. Turns out there's really something about Mary Queen of Scots. So be sure to turn into my series about Mary Queen of Scots and check out the other incredible women I've talked about while you're there. You can listen and subscribe to Vulgar History wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at vulgarhistory.com. What, if any, cool scenes or plot threads got cut for time? I don't think anything. I just bring it up because I don't remember anything this season. The dinosaur episode. Oh, yeah? I cut so much of us talking about what they can do, how to change them, little yeah, story in, in, the, in conversation the conversation part. Yeah, not so. As far as the APs, I don't cut out anything. I think we caught them through clean this time because usually, sometimes we'll lose like a hook somewhere. I'll, I'll put a stinger in something and it just gets cut for time. Fair enough. That's the main thing that we'll cut. But you've gotten much better at trimming these and getting them. You basically deliver me something that I take a couple edits. I mean, I do a lot of editing, but, I don't, but I'm not taking large chunks out of it. You do a lot of editing in terms of like music and sound effects, but. Well, also, but also with the vocal tracks, like anytime we talk over each other, I'm pulling them apart and separating them. I am removing all of the fault starts. So all of that stuff goes away, but nothing substantial. It's the actual mechanical editing as opposed to like finding the story yeah no I, I i hear you it's more polishing than editing yeah but with the talk parts i cut out huge chunks all the time we always go over we kept the thing in the modrons okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna mention this here because we haven't gotten a chance to do a bunch of the dms notes because i've been fucking slammed with personal life stuff the punchline there that you kept missing was effectively like you were summoning shit sitting in a windmill right yes which made all the Modrons go like, oh, well, a tower where you summon things is a wizard tower, not a windmill. This is broken. We should fix it. I was fundamentally lost on that for most of the episode, yes. And that was it. Was The further down you went is like, Jeff's there and his, immediately, his immediate underlings are there because they realized you were killing Modrons and they were just there to get whoever was killing Modrons. And that was the thing you saw in the stinger at the end where a fucking random wizard just got killed in the street by a bunch of Modrons. <laughs> They're still investigating. And the rest of it, the shit where you freaked out and were like, They're doing something. They're do they weren't doing anything. They're they just showed up to a wizard tower and were like, This doesn't look right. We should probably we should probably fix that. Right. But as a person, I expected that as the front of an invasion or the start of the long march or what and it wasn't. Nope. Nope, they just, this, should, this shouldn't be a windmill. I'm also very glad that worked out because uh, any DM knows this, but when me and Jeff are on relatively the same page and you're not, I left that going like, that felt good. That was a good recording. I'm so concerned that this won't make a good episode because Aram's going to be so fucking discordant to the fucking story. 
So I realized it, like I'd say about two thirds of the way through. And, but I also, I can make anything happen in editing. You'd be shocked if you really saw me, how much I can just make the edit lie and make myself sound better. Or I'll just, or because it's me, I can just voice myself. I can say, well, you know what? I didn't say that. I actually said this. Now I have done that. I will just say a different thing. Hey, audience, let me ruin that for him. If you hear Aram stop using contractions, he redubbed it. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> That's so true. When you write shit. I become data when I write. When you write shit, you refuse to use a fucking apostrophe. I do. It doesn't read as well. But when you say it, it becomes different. Redubbing a ROM will be like, because it's barred, you cannot open the door. Yes. Because, because cannot open the door. Where as opposed to a ROM just talking, you can't open the door. That's how I would normally talk. You push every ounce of desperate energy but you can't open the door and you would redub it and go you cannot every you cannot time. without fail. open the door because i would exaggerate this yeah that's what i that's what i do absolutely the, there you go audience now you know notice that about halfway through god's fall became a fun game for me that's funny i never picked it up until you pointed out to me but you're absolutely right rich asked two interesting questions did you ever expect to get so many literal experts on the show no. 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 We didn't think anyone was going to do the show initially. <laughs> One of the things we ran into really early on was when recruiting for the show, I had to take the toys away from Aram because Aram did two things. Uh, sometimes he would recruit people or he would go to cast people in the show and come to me and go like, hey, I was talking to this guy. He's so, so handsome. We should have him on the show. And I had to go one Audio medium, doesn't matter how attractive they are. First of all, Two, I never said they should that. be on the show because they're handsome. I would say, I know this really hot guy also. Yeah. And I had to keep over and over. But you're right. It happened too many times to be acceptable, okay? Agreed. The other thing was just, you got overzealous. We had maybe four seasons worth of guests who you had spoken to, some of whom I owe a huge apology to. Because I've messaged them and like started trying to coordinate things and then things. But it, there was no way for me to work with all of the people that we threw at this thing to begin with. Absolutely agree. We got way over excited. Well, because early on, we're like, we're not sure if we could get the guests. And then we thought, well, if we schedule the guests, all it'll just, they'll just be there. But I got way over zealous. Even now, I can max do like a recording a week. You have to have time to edit. So like. There is a limit to how many, how fast we can process guests. And that doesn't allow for weeks where you're like, oh shit, I have an exam this week. I can't do, like, I need time. And even caught up, we're telling people, look, it's going to be a year, maybe, before you hear this. Maybe it won't be. Maybe it'll be two months because we needed to slide you in. But probably it's going to be a year before you hear this. I think Trevor's episode so far is the one we've sat on the longest, where it wound up literally being like maybe a year and a half where we recorded yeah and just, that was a long time again more advice if you're going to start a show especially if you're dealing with like other people coming on to your show you can get ahead and then you need to stop and record at your rate of release if you get too far ahead yeah if you get three four weeks ahead that's great or three four episodes i should say like for us like two months ahead that's a great place to sit And then if we record every other week, everything's fine. But instead, we hit these stretches where we record like fucking an entire season and a half and a month. 
And then we sit there and go, oh, God, we have content until 2025. And something and now it's all running into each other. And now I don't re- I don't remember exactly what we did when we recorded. Yeah. Or who we've recorded with so far. It's a whole thing. Have I ever come to you and suggested someone we've already had on? I've never done that yet. I expect to do that at some point. I don't think you've done that yet, but I think that's partially because you've mostly stopped coming to me, which is where I was actually leading with this, is uh, when we hit that point where I had to take over casting, I'm the one with less connections in general. So I immediately got like really nervous because now like, uh, again, I don't know if we've had this conversation on the air. I'm going to do a quick sidetrack. I was talking to someone we had on the show previously, and they talked about how, at first talking to me, they were vaguely intimidated, which to me remains absolutely absurd. No, that's that's your general vibe. Yeah, I don't get that. I don't understand. I am basically a moron. But people think I know things, so whatever. Anyway. We are a physicist. She should know some things, don't we? No, and that was the thing. The thing that they brought up was I was... We did the intros and you go in and, you know, I made God's fall. I produced the shows, blah, 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 blah. And I just went, and I'm a physicist. But because of the tone, they hear it as, and I'm a physicist. Also, many people don't know what a physicist is. So we just assume you know everything. You're just like, oh, you're, you're a fancy science man. I also saw Big Bang Theory. Good work. <laughs> the moment they said that, I was like, I understand that reading. But what happened was, my name is Aram. I record D&D podcasts. I do podcasting and no RPGs. And then it was my turn to rattle off my credentials. And I was like, hi, I have I have a degree and I'm in Canada. And that's really my entire qualification. And we didn't like plan it. We literally got to that point and said, oh, shit, how are we going to introduce you? And then you're like, hi, my name's Dylan. Uh, I, I'm a physicist, I'm from Canada, uh, and that's pretty much all there is to say about me. There is no real justification for me being here in the first place. I have no qualifications. You didn't even work through all those either. You got quiet for two seconds and they're like, I got it. And then you just delivered the line exactly how you always deliver it now. And that, that was it. We just stuck with it because it was perfect. It comes out more in later episodes, but you can hear the inflection change where I realize I have to make it more like, I'm a physicist. From Canada. Yeah. <laughs> See, yes. so I'm, so that's interesting, I guess. But that was the whole thing was like, I don't have any qualifications. I don't know what I'm talking about. That was the whole point of that. So then when casting fell into my, my plate, I'm left sitting there looking at all of these really fucking cool people throughout the RPG space going, I am some random asshole. So yeah, I not only did I not expect to have all of these experts on the show. I didn't expect to have anyone on the show. I didn't think anyone would answer my DMs. <laughs> but then to have experts take us seriously, and even to have experts tell us that like they did a little bit of research because they were worried about being on the show, that blows me away every time. It's not to say that we don't do any research going into episodes. Like We try to do our due diligence, but at the same time, like Aram does so much editing, and I have... I'm in grad school. I'm trying to get a PhD here. I'm busy. <laughs> we got to Jesse through a friend of a friend. Hey, I know this cool person who knows a bunch about bugs. I'm like, well, then, then we should probably talk about bugs, I guess. They had such a great way of finding a way into the mind of an insect to make them alien yet relatable. It was excellent. I didn't expect to get KP. 
I felt like I was punching above my weight class asking in the first place. The combination of one KP is kind of the subject matter expert when it comes to Indian mythology and RPGs. And also just like, again, going to someone and go like, hey, can you do the cultural sensitivity work for my podcast, please? KP knows what he's talking about and also can embody a Rakshasa. In order to have both of those qualities, that's the part that's really difficult. Could we get experts on? Sure. Could we get experts on that can also act and portray? That's a real tough thing, and I'm shocked that we found so many of them. We got Jen because I was listening to Fun City. Fun City is a fantastic show. If you don't listen to it, give it a go. It's a lovely time. Jen seems super smart. I want to talk to Jen. And I think we had like one kind of friend in common through Twitter. And I was like, I, this is this is just enough. And we got halfway through the fucking Mike in it episode. And she just said one too many words. And I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. You know science. <laughs> You're a sneaky expert. So, yeah, sometimes sometimes we got experts on purpose and I didn't think we would. And sometimes we got experts I didn't think we would because I didn't know they were experts. And then we got halfway through a recording and you suddenly go like, oh, shit. I did a good job with casting this time. <laughs> yeah. This kind of show also, I, I would imagine, would gravitate towards the nerdier side yeah. of our, you know what I mean? So that does make sense that we did, but that we get at least more people that are very, very focused on one thing. Mm -hmm. Is there enough material for a blooper reel? And would you release it? I would release it. There's not enough material. We keep our bloopers in the show. We, it's usually me, and I keep it in the show. The bloopers that you would cut are shit like mechanical mistakes, right? Or like us arguing over mechanics. But that's the point of the show. It's It comes back to what you said about, you know, if you're making a show, have something that it's going to be about. You can make incredibly tightly edited APs where you basically, rem you almost remove the game. I can think of at least one podcast, I think Adamless is currently doing it, uh, where they're actually fully removing the game in the edit. Dark Dice does the same. Dark Dice does the same thing. Uh, I think maybe Ain't It Slade does. I have, to, I have to listen to that again. But there are a couple of them who literally pull, the, you can't tell it's a game. Yeah. And then there's the sliding scale of some people will pull out uh, the rules arguments or when they have to figure out stuff like that. The point of our show is how mechanics interface with story. And the disagreements that crop up around that. The disagreements behind them, and then the feedback loops that they produce. The way that, like, if you mechanically reinforce the idea of, you know, orcs as brutal and savage, that that'll feed back into the way they feel when you play them, which will feed back into the way that you role-play them, which will feed into you being a racist accidentally. But the main problem with a, with a blooper reel is that a blooper reel comes from trying to do a polished thing perfectly. Exactly. That's why there are bloopers. We don't do that. There's no real bloopers from what we do. Yeah. There's just mistakes. And sometimes they're very funny, especially when I make them. But again, we leave them in. Because those mistakes are the thing that we want to talk about. Those are the things that people do at the table that we want to talk about like, oh, there's this misunderstanding about the rules. This is how someone would perceive this rule interaction. And this is how you would deal with that. But there's no real bloopers. We're not acting. We're not guffawing over our mistakes. We're not like saying something wrong and then, oh my God, it's, it's an explosively funny moment. That just doesn't happen in the recording of our show. It's a different thing.
which guest would you invite back? We don't invite guests back. Everyone gets one shot. They can come back and play. No, but that's, hold on. That's, that's the answer. I don't think we've aired an episode with someone where I didn't enjoy playing with them. If they wanted to come back and do something like they got to play a PC and we were fighting a bigger monster and we're doing something that feels more team-based, basically anybody. Off the top of my head, I cannot think of a guest that I would not have back to play with again. No one gets a second monster. No one gets a second monster. That is a lock. That is a thing we've said from episode one. No one gets a second monster. How do you all feel about season one after finishing this season? Season one, I can see what we were trying to do, but the polish isn't there yet. This is, again, coming back to the whole intro thing, right? You came into this as our nominal subject matter expert. You make podcasts, you do APs. Uh, I've been running D&D for forever, and I've listened to way too many podcasts, so I knew what I wanted to do. And I like to think I hit the ground running pretty well, but there are still places in season one where I look at it and I'm like, I was running this too mechanical. I'm too focused on getting my point across and not creating something that is entertaining because at the end of the day, doesn't really matter how right I am if the podcast isn't fun to listen to. You talk a lot about me entering professor mode yes. and I still do it. I can't stop doing it. I wish I could, but I do it a lot less <laughs> because I know that I have to be an entertainer now. Well, also, you stop being a judge. In episode one, in the Banshee episode, you were a referee and you did not want to step outside of the role of referee. You thought you had to be the neutral party between these two factions, which was a perfectly reasonable way to approach it but then realize later on that doesn't really work for the show. The basic idea was spend the interview part talking about the monster, and then the AP was meant to be like taking the monster for a test drive. I had to be a neutral arbiter of the rules who was just making sure that the two sides play fair. And then eventually we were like going back and listening to it, not because of anything you or Orla did, but I didn't make that game interesting. It was just it was a guy just a combat, and it was a good yeah. combat, and both of you did a good job, and Orla brought the, brought an actual character, but I didn't set up any form of plot or conflict. It was just two things bumping into each other, and I can see that, and it's something that you and I have talked a lot about uh, in terms of. You've asked me a couple of times, when are we going to do the episode where you get to be the guest? And the answer is over and over again: No, we're not gonna. Not because I think I'm necessarily incredible and I have to run the game, but like succinct, fully encapsulated one hour games are a weird skill that I had to learn and that I had to get good at. You can hear like some of the strain in the first season where I don't know how to run a game this quickly and make it feel like a story. And now we're hitting the point where I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I can feel the points where I'm like, okay, now we need to get to wrapping it up. We need to, this. It's becoming a little bit more reflexive and I'm not going to fall into that guest seat because the moment I play a monster, someone else has to learn that skill. And I don't think I'm special in my capability to do it. I think I might be special in my actual literal ability to do it because I'm the only one who's needed to practice. 
There's also there's also the dynamic between us where when you decide to be the big brother and push me around, I just go, okay. And I listen to you. As soon as you pull out a as soon as you start putting down the law, I become completely I just give it. I acquiesce every single time. I'm like, yep, absolutely, you're in charge now. And I feel like too many of our guests would take your side. It's more fun for the guests to take my side than to take the DM side. You're absolutely right with that. Although it works out really well with Trevor. Well, I'm not even worried about that. I'm worried about what it looks like when the DM takes your side. That's probably not great. The DM needs to be able to put a boot on your throat. And too many people respect you for some reason. (laughs) Do you have a dream guest for a particular monster? If anyone is going to do the Red Dragon, I want it to be Brennan Lee Mulligan. I don't think I have anyone pigeonholed in my head where I'm like, I want you to do this monster. I want you to come on and talk about this thing. Or I have this monster and I really need someone who's just like this. The only one in my head is the Red Dragon is potentially the most boring episode we do, especially now that we've already talked about dragons. But I feel like the combination of coming from like comedy and improv and the storytelling that I've seen him do and that particular focus on the animosity towards capitalism and the fucking greed that a red dragon embodies, that's the motherfucker. That's that's the person who can make that episode interesting. You know what? I had a couple ideas, but nothing's going to beat that. That is a, the perfect answer. Brennan Leap Mulligan as the red dragon is perfect casting. I would say something about starting a hashtag, but one, that isn't really a thing anymore. And two, Twitter's going to be dead by the time this fucking episode comes out. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I use my background in journalism and draw on women's life experiences to add to the conversation on topics that matter to fellow feminists like you. Now in its second season, listen to new episodes each month as we explore finding yourself through divorce, battling call-out culture, questioning our ideas about masculinity, and discovering why girls' confidence plummets in their preteens. Guests include Stephanie Kuntz, historian and author of Marriage, a History, April White, author of Divorce Colony, and Loretta Ross, professor on white supremacy and call-out culture at Smith College. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.